cows. I love them. And many of the UK farming community are as passionate about bovines as I am. In this episode, I chat with Oxfordshire dairy farmer David Christensen, who milked 600 cows on a rotary parlour system. I share a tasty recipe for salted caramel chocolate brownies, and we also talk about ice cream. Tune in if you want more. Hello, welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meats, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer, and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today, we'll be chatting to Oxfordshire dairy farmer, David Christensen. Then I've got some inspiration when it comes to mealtime preparation and some recipes to share, meaning you can juggle family life with the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal too. Okay, let me introduce you to my guest. David Christensen is a dairy farmer at Kingston Hill Farm near Kingston Badpews in Oxfordshire. He lives there with his wife, Catherine, and three children who run their farm diversification, a luxury ice cream business called the Oxford Cow. Meanwhile, David will be tending to his herd of Frisian, Scandinavian Reds and Brown Swiss dairy cows, milked using a rotary parlour, a bit like a giant merry-go-round for cows. I first visited the parlour when I was about 15, during a young farmer's visit when the parlour was first installed. It really did blow my mind, as I've never seen anything like it, and probably at the time for many farmers would be quite revolutionary. A proactive farmer who is involved in many aspects of his local community and a fellow of the Royal Agricultural Societies. The question on everyone's mind just now is, what is David's favourite flavour of ice cream? So without further ado, let's catch up with David and ask him. Hi, David. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Mary. Very well indeed. Thank you. And come on, what what's your favourite ice cream flavour that, that your wife makes? So it would have to be lemon meringue uh, because I'm a huge lemon fan to start with. And the lemon meringue ice cream is divine. I think raspberry ripple would be second. Um, mm. And to be honest, they're all good, but those would be my top two. So lemon would be num- lemon meringue would be my favourite. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. And would you have it on its own or served with something? Uh, ideally on its own, just because it's so good. Although, as somebody said to me the other day, you must eat ice cream all the time in your house, uh, <laughs> and you'd be amazed at how infrequently we eat ice cream. Actually, <laughs> I don't know why. You think logically we'd have a freezer full where the ice cream is kept is in a different place to where we live, and and thus we don't seem to get as much as we all thought we might do when we start. <laughs> that's probably good for my waistline. Absolutely, that's the same with me and our pigs because we have a lot of sausages, so uh, um, we seem to eat a lot of sausage actually. Um, but that's not a bad thing either. <laughs> no, no, no. So, talk to me a bit about Kingston Hill Farm. It's um, been managed by your family for over fifty years. Who do you supply, and where does the milk go? Yes, indeed. Mum and Dad set the farm up in 1968 when they were awarded the tenancy. Um, our milk goes to Arla. And in our case, at this farm, our milk then goes to the dairy at Aylesbury and we are allocated to Tesco. So we have some extra quality assurance requirements to do for Tesco and our milk will go into a pool of milk that then ends up in those uh, poly bottles that you see on supermarket shelves. So our milk will be part of that pool. Um, And currently it's being collected um, every other day. 
goes off to, to, to Aylesbury, is processed and then, then into those bottles. Excellent. And how many cows are you milking at the moment? So um, we're just about at the end of calving now. And so we're milking about 600 cows in, in the herd. So um, we're approaching full production. Um, December is our peak month. And we'll be doing something like 20,000 litres of milk a day when we get to December. Wow. So that's a lot of milk. Um, the cows take a lot of looking after to so look after them properly. Um, yep. But I'm blessed with a really good team of, of staff. And we've invested in the buildings and that over the years to facilitate. Yep. Um, looking after the cows well so um, they're all comfortably in now they're lying on sand beds they've got free access to their food yeah. uh, and they're milked twice a day so they're um they're, they're in good shape yeah and presumably uh during the the warmer months when the grass is growing they're outside for um some of the time and then you bring them in for milking or how, what system are you on at the moment yes we're we're, we're great uh exponents of grazing so um if the climate allows then the true winter when the cows are housed for 24 hours a day is only for three months yeah. which is november december and january we can normally be doing some element of grazing in both october and february mm -hmm. they may be only out for a few hours each day but it gets them out of the barns um and then as the season goes on and the grass starts to grow then we can get them out 24 hours a day so from early april they are out 24 hours a day until probably mid-September when they start coming back in at night um, yeah. and then into October and into November when they're fully housed. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a hell of a sight, isn't it, when you let them out and they oh, they skip and they jump and they go absolutely bonkers. <laughs> it's just like looking at a rodeo sometimes. In a farming sense, and particularly in a dairy farming sense, it, it is our highlight day of the year <laughs> um, because they are, they do, they do go bonkers, absolutely mm. bonkers. They, they find a... Uh, a hole and, and apply the soil that, that they're war paint so they're all shaking their heads and they're <laughs> kicking their legs and others are going from side to side it is the most fantastic side yeah. uh, and it also signals for us the reduction of the winter workload so that's great yeah. for our team so for a combination of both the cows and the team it's a wonderful day and as I said they may only be out for a few hours to start with until the grass really gets going but uh, it's great to have them back out of the barns again definitely definitely and explain to the listeners about this uh, about your rotary parlor then because obviously for most people they won't have seen a rotary parlor so it, it's pretty okay. cool isn't it because it is well, basically like a merry-go-round for cows it is and it's known as, as sometimes it's known as a carousel which of course yes. is another another name for a merry-go-round yes i mean the biggest challenge that we face as as large-scale dairy farmers is is labor uh, and that's been exacerbated since since the Brexit vote. But it was it was never been easy. And so one of the keys for us is when you find a good person, you hang on to them. Uh, and part of that is you ensure that they don't work for too longer hours. Mm. And so our rotary parlour is our answer to that. It allows us to milk a large number of cows quickly but do it well at the same time so that our staff don't have to work silly hours now yeah. it's still a long working day relative to a lot but it's not as long as it could be mm. uh, and that's really important and that's important for both the staff and the cows because it also means the cows are not standing around for too long yeah so it's a great big roundabout the cows step on one at a time um, their teats are clean the moment they stepped on and then we have a bit of a gap before we attach the milking units. And that's important to allow the milk to be let down from the cow. And then the cow goes off on her rotation. So you can imagine this great big carousel rotating uh, and the cows st stood there being milked. She gets fed while she's on the, the milking platform as well. And then when she gets to the other side, uh, the milking unit is taken off automatically. 
Uh, we have a third member of the team just checking that she's been milked out properly. And if she needs additional teeth spraying to look after her teeth, we do that. And then yeah. she gets back to the bridge and she reverses out, goes through 180 degrees and walks back to the field in the summer or the barn in the winter. Um, and that process takes about between 10 and 12 minutes, depending on how much milk is on the cows, what time of year it is, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So, so they, all, they go around once. They go around once. If mm. we've got what we call a slow milker or a cow with an extra lot of milk on, we can put a little chain behind her so she can't reverse out and she does a second rotation. And that gives her time to milk out properly. So, again, we can we can look after those cows. But But it is a great way. To milk a lot of cows and it is uh, to your point it is slightly hypnotic when you're looking at it it's a great <laughs> sight and you just look at all these cows stepping on reversing off quietly and calmly uh, and it's a great way to milk a lot of cows yeah definitely am i making it up that you've got a, a viewing platform or do, so, do some people now have like viewing platforms where you can um can can see the the rotary yeah, you are making it up that yeah. we have got one because we haven't. No. But you're right that some farms do. And yeah. I think if I were doing it again, I would consider uh, mm. putting a proper viewing gallery in. Um, I was very cost-driven when we did yeah. this. Um, but I think in hindsight, I should have done. I was fortunate to visit a robotic dairy over mm. the weekend, the opening of a, of a new state-of-the-art robotic dairy. And they had incorporated a really good viewing point above mm. the, the whole barn. And I thought that's really super when you've got visits that people can go up there and have a look and, and take it in from that, that height and that perspective, looking down on the cows and, and the process. Um, so I, I, it would be one for the future if we did it again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you obviously do quite a lot within your local community. Do you do the likes of Open Farm Sunday or, you know, uh, other events on the farm? So, so we have done Open Farm Sunday in the past. We haven't done it of late, but mm. we do tend to have a few visitors locally will come to the farm, both locally and wider groups. And in fact, the other night we had two of the local junior young farmers clubs come around. So Bister and Islip and yeah. Farrington came around, which was fantastic. There, yeah. were, there were over 50 of them. Amazing. Which I thought was super. Yeah. And we had, a, we had a, a look around the farm, look at the calves, look at the parlour cow accommodation stuff like that and then we finished off with an ice cream so uh <laughs> clearly we're trying to work out what they really came for was it the look around the farm or was it the ice cream at the end but it was it was really lovely to have them um such an enthusiastic crowd and such and so many of them and i was really struck by the number um which i think bodes well for the future definitely well i think you know it is inspiring that you've got so many young farmers coming to see you and whether or not it's sort of understanding more about dairy farming or farm diversification or just the eating of ice cream and potentially new <laughs> customers who knows but I think it's wonderful that obviously you're able to open your doors and uh, um, show people around because it is it is a big time commitment and it, you know I mean I know on our farm as well we we have the local schools come down and 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 other groups and things but it, it's important isn't it to be able to showcase what we're doing it's critically important. And, and if I have a, uh, a concern over dairying, it is that we don't tell our story nearly enough. Mm. Uh, I think we have a really good story in the UK. Mm. Um, we're, we're not perfect. No business ever is. And, and like all businesses, all farmers, we, we seek to improve year on year. But actually, when you look at us in relative terms, we start from a pretty high bar yeah. and we should be selling that message. And we don't talk enough about just how good we are. So these events where you get people onto the farm are important as, as part of the whole package 
about how we communicate better with our customer, with um, non-government organisations, with government, with, with, with local government, et cetera, mm. et cetera, to get our message across. It's mm. really important. Definitely. And I think milk is one of those commodities that's generally taken for granted because you pour it on your cereals or in your cup of tea in the morning or what have you. And it's kind of, unless you really think about it, you probably don't appreciate the journey in which it has gone from getting it from the supermarket, well, from the farm, from the cow to the farm, to the supermarket, to your door. And we had a a vet student here recently from New York, a super bright girl. And she said to me after a week, she said, I had no idea how Mm. much went into milk production. And that's exactly to your point. And I recently did a piece for Radio Oxford and the presenter there said the same thing after visiting the farm. She said, wow. She said, I had no idea. Mm. There was so much work involved. So much thought goes into it. Mm. So, again, I do think we need to get better at, at, at telling our story mm. um, because it's a good story. And actually, I think it's interesting, too. I think, yeah. uh, you know, when you when, when people understand it better, um, that, that they that they're more interested in it and engage with it. And, I, and that's really important. Definitely. And I think even like looking after our soil and grass management and then, you know, the seasonality with, with dairying. I mean, you said before that the cows are coming in at certain times of the year. Obviously, you're having to supplementary feed them when they're inside mm. um, and when they're outside and when the grass is growing, they're obviously generally producing a bit more milk. But obviously, there's all of that that has to go into it and and also you know caring for the animals as well and a cow's got four stomachs and the ruminate you know all of that sort of stuff to me is really interesting um and I don't know if you you get quite a lot of questions on that or or that sort of part of the story really I think the key is to try and unlock some of the interesting points we've fitted um what we call cow manager ear tags to all our cows a few years ago and basically they're Fitbits for cows (laughs) and so the moment you start to describe it in those terms you engage people they suddenly can identify with it and go okay tell me what why you're doing that what information you can get and when you go through the benefits of installing something like that in terms of being able to monitor the cow's health and detect early that she might be going off color when it it, tell them about it helps you with fertility management the cows and it helps efficiency, and in particular, it helps lower our environmental footprint, mm. that, that they, they really come to life with all that. Mm. I think grass is another example. Everyone just thinks that grass is green and grows in a field. <laughs> Actually, when you, when you talk to them about walking around a field with a plate meter, which is a device for measuring grass, and you talk about what goes into grass and the soil beneath it and, and measuring the soil, and now we're measuring soil carbon and stuff like that, suddenly people are going, wow, there's, there's so much more to this than, mm. than meets the eye. And, and that robot unit I was at at the weekend, you know, when you go and see a state-of-the-art unit like that, you go, mm. blimey, there's something involved in all of this. So, yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's really important we tell our story. I think we've got to get much, much better at it, as I say. But mm. I think we've got a great story to tell, and we shouldn't be, af- we shouldn't be afraid to do so. No, absolutely, absolutely. No, I couldn't couldn't um, agree more. And so, you have you always wanted to be a dairy farmer? Is it a bit of a rite of passage? Because obviously, dad, mum, and dad established the business. Was it your natural progression, or did you want to do something else and get into dairying? Uh, no, to start with, I was going to be a fighter pilot, uh, and then I was going to be. <laughs> I think a research scientist into studying nuclear stuff and all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah. And then I think around 16, 15, 16, it's a bit like a drug. It gets into you farming. <laughs> uh, and I started reading the, all the magazines that came through the post that dad never had time to open or read. And I would mm. take them and read them. And I just really got passionate about um, what an exciting industry it is, um, how rewarding it is, the, the tangible satisfaction of, of, of what we do. And I think that the wider good of what we do in terms of clearly producing food, but also the, the, the greater contribution that farms can make to the local community. Uh, and, and that really excited me. So I went to, um, I went to work on a farm in Hereford for a year, uh, yeah. which was pivotal. Um, and then I went to university for three years, went to Newcastle University, where mm -hmm. I came out with both a degree and my future wife, which was <laughs> What a bonus. What a successful three years. <laughs> Um, and 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 that this degree was important, but nowhere near as important as, as my one, my dear and wonderful wife. And then I went and milked cows in New Zealand for nine months, and then I came back and got involved. And gradually, that sort of switchover of roles from my father to me in terms of taking on more and more management of the business to today, where um, my father is still in a, a silent partner in the business. Mm. But Catherine and I run it, and we have this farm. We have, we have another dairy unit, and we have another load of cattle on top of that. So it's all about cattle. We haven't really diversified. We're, we've got the very small ice cream business, which we'll talk about at the moment. But the, mm. but the core, the core business is milking cows and raising of cattle, um, yeah. and we really enjoy what we do there. Yeah, yeah. And um, you, you touched on the fact that you involve the local community and you were talking to me before um, we went on air about um, a local 10K race that you're involved with. Can we just talk about that for a little while? Yes, certainly. Um, our local village, Longworth, there's a group of us that go and um, run every Saturday morning just to try and keep some vestige of fitness <laughs> in, in place. Uh, and each year we hold a, a an organised 10K race that other runners can attend. Yeah. And it's done for charity. So any 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 um, spare proceeds after the costs get given to a local educational charity. And so um, I help get set up putting all the signs up and stuff like that. Mm. But our key involvement there is that we are one of the key sponsors for that event now. And so um, our the sponsorship takes the form of giving an ice cream to all the runners when mm. they have completed the 10k and to all the stewards and the helpers and stuff like that yeah and it's lovely I mean it is mm. absolutely fantastic to be able to help in that way so many of the runners come up to me at the start and say the only thing that will get us around this 10k <laughs> is the thought of one of your wife's ice creams at the end <laughs> so uh what a nice thing to be able to be involved with yeah and we then attend all the local um, fates and events this year we've been doing um, coronation events last year we were doing jubilee events and stuff yep. like that and we always give a proportion of the takings to um, the charity or, or whoever's running the event mm. um, when it's a charitable event like that so that's really important and I think it's a great way to involve the farm in the local community Yes. We do other stuff as well. We are blessed to have the Thames as our northern boundary. Yeah. So we have one field um, where um, scouts can come and camp in the summer. Scouts and guides can come and camp. We don't charge. We oh, brilliant. If, if your group can afford it, then you can make a donation to a charity, but don't feel under uh, under any pressure. It's yeah. more important that you come and use the field yeah. than worry about money. Mm. Um, and they've got Thames, Thames frontage. So yeah. we get sea scouts coming and they can canoe and all the rest of it. So yeah. that's fabulous them as yeah. well so yeah um, and, and those are sort of the ways that we can be involved in, in the local community and I think that's really important again yeah 
definitely we well, are it is a lovely setting where you are because obviously I know from from growing up around there and also yeah. once upon a time I used to work at the Rose Revived so uh... <laughs> oh well our daughter now is working there Nancy our our daughter is now this as of this summer she's been working in the Rose Revived and she's doing weekends on Sunday afternoons there now so uh still going strong right? yeah going strong. Well, I mean uh, yeah it, it's a beautiful pub um with a lovely lovely garden right aside the river Thames and it's a yes. uh, it is a bit of a mecca isn't it when the sun shines you can go and indeed. have to eat indeed, and a drink indeed. it's beautiful so yeah um little plug there for a local business that's for sure um you must be a morning person if you're a dairy farmer. That's what I because I I'm a night owl, um, and so <laughs> I always have a a, a respect for uh, dairy farmers because you're up at the crack of dawn and uh, milking generally twice a day, sometimes three times a day, depending on what system you're on. But um, you know, what's the favourite bit about your job? Yes, I don't mind the mornings. We milk twice a day, so we start at just before five most of the year round. Um, we it's interesting you say you're a night owl because Catherine is a night owl so clearly mm. we work at different ends mm-hmm. of the day but I do like the mornings particularly like the mornings in the summer uh, when it is beautiful it's a bit harder in the winter uh, I always yeah. think the hardest mornings are those in January just after Christmas mm. particularly Sunday morning when you're getting up and there's you know the rain's battering in the window and you think what on earth am I doing this job for um, but my our team are fantastic and, and just turn in and get on with the job and get it done so we're, we're really blessed with them yeah. um, I think the mornings that the job more widely the sense of tangible satisfaction um, yeah. I like the buzz of, of dairy farming I like the fact there's a vacuum pump going twice a day I like the fact there's people about mm. there's things happening it's a very lively atmosphere and mm. I enjoy that and it's constantly challenging too so I think whatever I did if if it weren't farming, I would need to be doing something where there was lots of activity. I mean, one mm. of my other earlier career thoughts was to go and manage Heathrow or be involved in something <laughs> like that or manage a major railway station, something where there's a constant buzz, constant activity, yeah. um, because I think that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess instead of managing aeroplanes and what have you, you're uh, managing uh, staff cattle and probably um the milk tanker that's coming maybe every day or every couple of days and all of the other deliveries that happen um on a farm yes i mean I, I, again we're fortunate that i push as much of that onto my team as i can yeah. because the day-to-day stuff they can sort out and they're yeah. super intelligent people they don't need to be micromanaged in fact no. i can think of nothing worse yeah so that then takes a lot of that stuff off me as well mm. and i only get called in when there's a bit of firefighting needed or something like that but the day-to-day stuff they do most of and it allows me to look at the bigger picture I think the the management phrase is to work on the business rather than work in the business Mm. now I actually like to work in the business as well because that's one of the reasons you go into it so it's Mm. about getting that balance between the office and being out on the farm getting that balance right but I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm in a position that I can do both yeah yeah and are there any myths um that you want to dispel you know is there anything that really surprises you you know in terms of dairying that um you know our listeners would be interested to find out more about i'm amazed well not amazed i I think the number of people that don't really understand how often cows are milked and how it works and the fact that Mm. it happens twice a day in our system and three Mm. six five days a year Mm. i think that's an important point to get across because again it talks to the level of work that goes into milking cows mm. and doing it properly. I think on a wider level, there's a lot of concern about the carbon footprint of cows and methane and stuff like that. Mm. And it's very easy for the media to throw out simple messages. We, we live in a world of 
Twitter or X as it's called now, mm. um, you know, 140 odd characters, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Actually, a lot of the time you can't get the message across in 140 characters. You can't no. dumb it down to that level. And, and the environmental footprint of dairy will be a good example. There's so much more to it than meets the eye. Mm. There's still a lot we don't really understand uh, and we're constantly working to improve. So I don't want customers or consumers worrying about the environmental footprint because I think there are many bigger areas that as, mm. as a society we need to focus on. Mm. That's not that we should be complacent. We should constantly focus on trying to get better, and we do. It's mm. a big focus for us, um, just nibbling away at all those areas of efficiency. And, for instance, yeah. this year we've replaced all our light bulbs um, around the place with LED light bulbs. Mm. So that's just a small example of where light bulbs needed replacing so let's switch to lower energy uses mm. we're concentrating on improving our grassland so we get more output from it um and we're constantly looking how can we get more efficient and when you become more efficient then you lower your carbon footprint yeah so i think to, to the consumer the message i have is don't overtly worry about the carbon footprint the environmental footprint mm. dairying we're, we're good to start with we can and will get better yeah. and there's a big focus area for the industry in doing that definitely and presumably you get some support from your uh from Arla and uh, because I know that they have several programs and different things they're you know they're keen to support all of their farmer suppliers I think it's it's really important mm. um and it's really important that we have the information to be able to demonstrate what mm. we're saying so we have schemes in place now where we um, take certain information from the farm and that can tell us how efficient uh, or not or are strong and weak areas and how we can improve. Um, and then uh, we then turn that into another model, which we can then use to improve as well. So Arla are very much helping us do this. Not always popular with dairy farmers because it means more time in the office and I completely yeah. get that. But I think it's really important that we have the information and then we have the signposts as to where we have to improve. Yeah. And that's where Arla are helping us with. Definitely. And so where do you see the future of British dairying? It, it ought to be really, really good. Um, mm. We are blessed with one of the best climates for food production yeah. generally in the world and one of the best for dairying. Um, mm. Northwest Europe is really fortunate like that. So given that, we ought to be maximising sensible food production from the UK for those mm. stuffs we can produce. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need to pay attention to the environment. We do. We absolutely do. And same for biodiversity. But equally, given the, the challenges around the world in terms of climate, and we only have to look at Europe this summer to see what's going on, yeah. and also that the bigger geopolitical stuff, the Ukraine invasion last year, I think it's really important that we go on producing a decent amount of food ourselves in the uk yeah. and dairy should be part of that because when mm. you look at the nutritious value that dairy can can provide it's a fundamental part of our diet and it also tastes delicious yeah. and that's really important too that, mm. that we enjoy our food um, so it's up to us as farmers then to go on making sure we improve our operations and provide that information so the consumer can feel at ease doing that um, mm. but i but i so i think summarizing i think dairy should have a really good future in the uk yeah um some of it's up to us some of it's up to the government to help us as well yes um and to our consumers to get behind us as well 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that that's, you know, part of the reason why I do this podcast is because I'm really passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming and getting behind all the campaigns and just highlighting all of the different things that farmers are um, responsible for in terms of food production, but are the wider element and impact. But then, you know, talking about food security as well, that actually we should be proud and support and get behind all of our farmers for, for so many reasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get too too heavy and too serious about no. it, but it is a really important point. The whole mm. food security bit, given what's happening around the world, that is fundamental. And we need to we just need to keep abreast of that, um, yeah. particularly given we have such a great climate, as I say, yeah. and actually some really good farmers. And I'm sorry to repeat myself again, but we can and will improve and we want to improve. So we will yeah. go on getting better at what we do. Yeah, definitely. But there's also that sort of element of low food miles as well, because actually, you know, we could ship uh, goods from all around the world, which happens all the time, or you can buy from people on a local level or, uh, you know, looking for the red tractor logo or looking for, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into too much in the way of labelling and things because there is a little bit of uh, misinformation there as well. But I mean, knowing what what is produced in this country and what's in season, I think sometimes we've forgotten a little bit about that. And so actually kind of uh, making an informed choice is probably what we're both talking about. And it's a really difficult area, isn't it? Because Mm. when we go shopping, we haven't got a lot of time no. And I occasionally go and do the shopping and I'm looking at, well, I sort of look at the labels and actually the label, I don't find the labels very easy sometimes. I find no. them quite confusing. So we've got to be really careful about how much more information we put on labels because we don't want to overload us as shoppers. Mm. And so we've got to be smart about how we do that. Yeah. But I think generally for food produced in, in Northwest Europe and in the UK in particular, uh, customers can can be reassured that it's we start from a pretty good place in terms yeah. of quality in terms of standards and in terms of environmental footprint and that ought to reassure them yeah absolutely absolutely now moving into the kitchen do you enjoy cooking david are there any go-to recipes because uh, that you do you like pairing because i know when i kind of roped you into this podcast you were like Oh, yeah, I've seen all the things you've been posting on social media. You might have even got me to start baking some of these. <laughs> OK, so, so here comes the absolute weak point and confession. Uh, <laughs> absolute abject failure in the kitchen or well, not failure. But you know, I lived on my own for, for a year and survived. So clearly I can cook. Mm. Um, what's happened now is that I have a wife who is utterly super competent at cooking. Mm. And so whenever I come in the kitchen, she she's a very patient woman ordinarily, <laughs> but she kind of looks at the flailing havoc that is caused when I'm let loose. Mm. And she goes, oh, just get out of the way. I'm going to do it instead. <laughs> so she tends to cook. So we have this arrangement that Catherine cooks uh, and I wash up and clear up afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's probably a pretty practical arrangement. I mean, even to the extent when I when, when on the rare occasions that I barbecue, you know, I'm suddenly sort of panicking out there and she sort of looks at me and goes, there's just absolutely no hope <laughs> whatsoever. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, af- I'm afraid I'm ashamed and slightly appalled to say that I almost never cook. Um, on the occasions I do, a pasta is normally the dish because it's so easy. Yeah. And the kids uh, and the kids sort of go, oh no, that's cooking. That means it's pasta <laughs> again. So uh, uh, thankfully, our our eldest son and our daughter are both very good cooks. Our middle son's probably a bit more like me, so they tend to cook now if if Catherine's away and uh, we are fending for ourselves. Yeah. Um, and again, I wash up. 
because mm. that's part of the deal. So excellent. Or you could just pedal down the hill, hill and go to the road survived. <laughs> Well, we could, yes, we could, could do that, but clearly that costs a bit too much money. Well, and, um, no, there is that, it's yeah. It's probably not always the, um, well, if you had it five nights a week, it wouldn't be the healthiest of options, I suppose. <laughs> so um, we're better off cooking at home, uh, and we re- I really ought to get better. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I suspect as long as Catherine's um, in full domain that, that that won't be happening. She'll just go uh, on and do it. Then. Well, well maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be a recipe I share that sort of inspires you to take up uh, the mantle and uh... <laughs> yeah, I really should I really should yeah you're right you're right Millie. um now I asked a question and you've already said I, I asked you beforehand how can people find out more about you and you said well I don't really do social media but actually uh, the Oxford cow uh, ice there, cream yes there, there is an Instagram account for the Oxford cow dairy so if you yep. look up Oxford cow you'll find that and yep. we uh, again, our daughter runs it for us because yeah. neither of us want to get too involved in social media. So you can find out a bit there. That's about it. I mean, I think if you put um, Kingston Hill Farm or David Christensen into Google, there'll be some stuff. There's various media stuff that we've done in the past. So again, people want to find out a bit more they can do there. Yeah. Um, but I think actually the Oxford Cow site will give you, or the Oxford Cow Instagram site will give you a bit more clue about the farm. Uh, and if people want to know more, they can just get in touch. Um, yeah, yeah, very yeah. happy to talk to people. Always happy to talk to people happy mm-hmm. to take visits if groups want to come and have a look and talk about what we're doing so again they can find my details through the internet or via the Oxford Cow and um, yeah. we, can, we can engage thereafter. Amazing well I'll put some details in the show notes anyway so if anyone wants to find out any more information right. then it will link straight to, to to find out more about you. Okay here are a few ideas for you to try at home. Salted caramel chocolate brownies, food heaven. Now, I'm gluten intolerant, um, and so I use gluten-free flour um, in this recipe, and I will put put the full recipe. I've done a little video, actually, to sort of uh, sort of showcase how you can make this, but it is one of my go-tos. It's one of my showstoppers, as I always say. And you also use a whole back, uh, pack of salted butter. I use Yo Valley, two bars of dark chocolate, some dark brown sugar, and I always use British sugar, some cocoa powder, four eggs from my own chickens, um, some sea salt. I always use Cornish sea salt. It's really nice. And a whole tin of carnation caramel. So lots of dairy goodness in there. So basically how to make it. You may, you basically melt the chocolate and the butter, combine with all the dry ingredients and some eggs, place half the mixture into a lined square tin and then spread the caramel on the top and then place the rest of the mixture on the top of that. Sprinkle with some sea salt, bake for 30 minutes and allow to cool. And either serve with some Rodder clotted cream or some of David's ice cream. It is amazing, <laughs> honestly. It is a bit, if you've got a sweet tooth, it is definitely the recipe for you. And in season right now, November time, I'm talking red cabbage and beetroot, but root vegetables in general. I've really got into pickling at the moment recently, and my boys really love pickled beetroot and pickled cabbage. It's full of vitamin C, fibre, potassium, and the vinegar has benefits of probiotic as well, which is great for gut health. Generally, I slice, boil until soft, allow to cool and store inside a vinegar as I can't use malt vinegar because of my gluten intolerance. And we always enjoy with a cheese plowman or if we're having friends over, we do it as part of a buffet. So, David, what do those recipes, do they sound tasty recipes to you? Would you re- try and have a go at one of those? Well, certainly the, uh, the the brownies to start with, they sound <laughs> utterly divine. Um, so I would do that. I'm probably a little less keen on the pickling, uh, although I do my own slightly 
um, skewed version of it, we've got some damson trees on the farm. So I pickle them in other scents with brandy and sugar and oh, make, yes. uh, damson brandy and, yes. uh, sl- and slow brandy as well. So that's my sort of my version of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but those brownies do sound divine. So yeah. um, if I'm feeling particularly adventurous and if Catherine's not around to see me <laughs> the, the carnage in the kitchen, then I might have a go. Absolutely, definitely. And yeah, damson gin, slow gin. Oh, I do cherry brandy, raspberry gin. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Now, especially for this time of year, it's a real sort of winter warmer, isn't it? You come in it's and it's mm. And actually, as, as gifts, it's lovely to give to people as gifts. Just you can only you don't need to give a big bottle, but it's the thought that's gone into it as well. Mm. The fact you've made it from the farm. Yeah. So we do a bit of that for Christmas time, which is lovely. That, yeah. And of course, to drink it as well, because you're quite yeah. right. It's sustaining to get you through the winter months. That's it. Or even like mixed with some Prosecco or champagne is quite nice. Um, or Very exotic. <laughs> Very exotic. Well done. But quite boozy. You don't need too much of it. That's no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I have had a voice note from Gemma Cooper, who is head of policy for the National Farmers Union of Scotland who is also a really keen cook and forager. Let's hear from Gemma now. Hi, Millie. It's Gemma Cooper here. I was listening to your show and I was inspired to send you a really nice autumnal recipe, which is made from foraged brambles and hopefully some garden apples if you're lucky enough to have some trees. So this is apple crumble. For the filling, you're going to need 575 grams of apples. You're also going to need about 100 grams of hedgerow brambles and a couple of tablespoons of golden castor sugar. So you're going to chop up your apples into one centimetre chunks and just warm them in a pan just to gently soften soften them down a little bit before you put them to the side. You're then going to need to make your crumble mix. And for that, you're going to need 175 grams of plain flour, 110 grams of golden castor sugar, and the same of cold butter. Just make sure that your butter is really cold if you've got a really warm kitchen, because if it's not, your crumble will just go into lumps and it just won't work. So you're then going to top your apples with your lovely crumble mixture. And then on the top of that, you're going to pop rolled oats. Obviously, we're in Scotland, so we love our oats. Um, and some demerara sugar. You're going to put that in your oven for around about 35 minutes. So the oven's going to be 190 degrees C, which is 170 fan or gas mark 5. And then you're going to set it to the side for 10 minutes to cool and serve it with really whatever you fancy, double cream, clotted cream or custard, and enjoy. Oh, that really tastes delicious. And during this cold snap, I am definitely going to have a crack at that one. That's all we've got time for today. Um, Don't forget to tune into the next episode of the Countryside Kitchen Meats, which comes out on the first of each month, and you can subscribe on all major platforms. Get in touch with me if you'd like to be on a future episode or send me a voice note with your recipe ideas and suggestions or if you've recreated anything that I've shared, um, drop me a line. My email is hello at millie5.com. And of course, No Fest Meals for Busy Parents is on um, Instagram, Facebook. And actually, it's now a community interest company. I probably haven't said that enough at the moment. It's now, um, I've now actually registered it as a social enterprise to do more of this, which I'm hoping will grow and more people will find out um, about what is growing in this country and teaming that with recipe ideas and suggestions. Thank you so much, David, for joining me. I've really enjoyed finding out more about all the things you do at home, on the farm and the things in the wider community. And I hope that I might have inspired you to get cooking at some point. 
Uh, I think I've got no choice now, have I really, mate? I've <laughs> got to pull my finger out and get busy. But I've really enjoyed being part of it. So thank you for the invitation today. Oh, brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Bye.